0: Well, good morning. If you came here expecting to see Jeff, I'm really sorry. Uh, you got me. So, but I'm I'm honored to be here. I'm ex- I'm excited to uh, to be sharing this message and to be a part of this series. Uh, Philippians is just a great, great book. Uh, it it shows a lot of great characteristics of Paul and those around him. And so today I wanted to focus. On this next section that we have up here, this Philippians 2, 19 through 24. Uh, and we are about to read that together. I'm just gonna pull that up here. Alright, so here we go. This is Philippians 2:19 through 24. If you're following along in your Bibles, it says that Timothy and to Timothy and Epaphroditus, which is this is the title here. I hope I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So there's not a ton that we know uh, about Timothy, right? We, We know that Timothy had letters written to him. We know that when we hear him reference he's typically with Paul. Now Timothy was a disciple of the gospel. He followed Peter for some time and then we see that he moved and transitioned into to following Paul. But we do know that Timothy was well liked. He was well regarded. He was a faithful servant of Jesus Christ and he was well trusted by those that he was with. So Timothy was given a lot of detail and great work to carry on. He was he was an ultimate student. So that's, that's for Timothy. And now, as we move on to our next section of scripture, which, if you're following along as well, it's Philippians 2 25 through 30. It says, But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. So we've got Timothy, we've got Paul writing about these two guys and it may just seem like, okay, cool. Paul's writing about two buddies of his, but there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. Not only does he speak to Timothy's character, but he also speaks a great deal into who Epaphroditus was. And he uses a lot of, of words that we could easily just read over, but if we actually look at the the Greek in these words, there is great detail that shows that Paul was not only putting his friend over to these folks uh, when he returned, but he was making sure they knew that this guy was someone special. He wasn't just an average person or a friend that came in. This guy was somebody that they needed to really keep their eye on. They needed to really realize that this guy was a hero. So I'm gonna go over some of these, these words and these terms that Paul uses because I myself have written recommendation letters for people, but no recommendation letters have I written that are this incredibly awesome. So let's focus on, on some of these words. So Epaphroditus, we have to thank for getting this book of, uh, of, to the churches in Philippians, right? So number one, we wouldn't even have this book if Paul had not sent Epaphroditus back with this letter to these churches. So he was sent by uh, Philippi in the first place to go be with Paul. He was going to aid Paul, be his servant and his assistant, and while he was in jail awaiting trial. So Paul is awaiting trial, not, you know, not the first or last time, right? So Paul is, he's facing a lot of charges. If he's convicted, then he's likely going to be sentenced to death. So the church says, well, you know what? Let's, let's go ahead and send Epaphroditus. Uh, to to go over there. Now, I want you to imagine this. This is like um, you going on a mission trip that you've signed up for, right? You're all excited. You have all the meetings, all this great stuff. You get to meet your team. You're really pumped about where you're going and stuff. The day of, you arrive with your bags at the airport, and you get a phone call, and they're like, oh, hey, everyone else backed out, uh, but go ahead and get on the plane. Also, the odds of you not coming back are like 90%, so you know, we love you, you're such a great servant, thank you very much, have a great time, Um, and tell Paul we said hello, right? That's what Epaphroditus was doing. He literally put his life on the line because if you went to visit somebody and you were there to serve them, to hang out with them, it was very likely that you could easily get wrapped up in their charges as well and thrown in prison and tried with the same charges. So Epaphroditus, he... Literally, when Paul says he risked himself, he completely did. Uh, he, he risked his life. Now, Paul uh, refers to that Epaphroditus uh, had fallen ill. So I was looking around at some of the, the illnesses back then. It's likely that Epaphroditus fell ill from the Roman fever. And so this was a particularly deadly strain of malaria which uh, if anyone doesn't know what malaria is, it's really fun. Look it up uh, if you like bugs in your bloodstream. All right, so it, it was a very deadly strain, uh, and it, it re- affected uh, the Roman uh, Empire at the time, right? It was throughout various points in history because it would come and go and come and go. Um, so uh, it, was a, it was an epidemic, right? Um, so during the 5th century especially in A.D., uh, at which... A lot of folks believe that that is could have been one of the major things that affected the Roman Empire, that, that caused the fall of this Roman Empire, was from so many falling ill. Um, there were a lot of remedies that they felt like they could use back then, um, so they, they tried a bunch of different stuff, um, so because a lot of this was chronic and it would come in waves, uh, they started instituting a a tried and true medical practice of vampire burials. Um, So I believe we're still doing those today. I'd I'd have to check. Um, Just kidding, we're not. So what they would do is uh, once you died from this, you know, to cause it from spreading because they didn't know a ton, really, they would do all of these rituals and make sure that you did not come back from the dead because, you know, that was also apparently happening a lot back then, too. So, um, you know, children who died of malaria, were, they were buried in an, um, a necropolis, and I'm going to butcher all these words, in uh, Lugan, uh, Luganino, um, using rituals meant to prevent them from returning from the dead. Um, they feared that the dead would return and then continue to spread this disease. So as it comes in waves, luckily, as Paul said, he was very grateful that uh, not only he, but um, that, that Paul's circumstances got better, but he was so grateful that Epaphroditus' did as well. And so Paul really urged him to, to go back home because Epaphroditus was genuinely worried that the people uh, back home were worried about him as well, which they, they were pretty concerned and he was, he was almost grieved that they were worrying about him because really for Epaphroditus, it was like, hey, this is about Paul, not me, don't worry about it, but I'm gonna come home to let you know that I'm better. Well, there was an issue with that because while they were eager to send Epaphroditus out, they weren't exactly eager for Epaphroditus to come back in one sense because if he was coming back to a lot of the folks in, in those churches at the time, it would have looked like this guy was a complete coward, right? That, oh man, you left before your post was up, you know? You knew the risks and you went, and now you're coming back like a coward. So Paul was worried about that. Now Paul's in prison, right? He's, he is facing what could end his life, these charges. And Paul has been through a lot. He, he's got more to, to go through here, but he's not worried about himself at all. He's worried about his buddy. So he knew that there would be this kickback. And, and those would view him as a quitter, uh, Epaphroditus as a quitter when he went home. So Paul made sure to add a lot of terminology in this letter to ensure that he would face zero problems when he got back. So um, we're reading through this letter in the series and it's amazing. Um, Paul added this section to, to help his friend out, to help this, this guy he viewed as a hero out, a hero for Christ. This is the best reference letter ever written. So here we go. We see in his testimonial, we see that that every word is it's just carefully chosen. So Epaphroditus, Paul writes, is his brother. He's a fellow worker and soldier in the work of Christ, right? That Those are pretty powerful words. Uh, J.B. Lightfoot, uh, who's a big biblical scholar and theologian from the 19th century, puts it really, really well about Epaphroditus. He says, Epaphroditus was one with Paul in sympathy, one with him in work, one with him in danger. He, in truth, had stood in the firing line. Amazing, amazing summary of Epaphroditus, it's so true. So Paul, then goes on after this, he continues to refer to Epaphroditus as your messenger and the servant of my need. So the Greek word that Paul uses for servant is latorgos. So in secular Greek usage, uh, sorry, secular Greek usage, this word it was a huge deal. It wasn't just a small word that you threw around for everyone. It was a huge deal. It was basically a title that earned someone immediate respect. Uh, From those around them. It was a word that was only used specifically to describe someone who has earned it through self-sacrifice. This wasn't, you don't just get this title, you're not voted into office with this title. This is something that you have been doing, and you were given as a blessing. The one word uh, describes a person who loves their city so much that they would give out of their own uh, expenses during that time, right? That was through civic duties, uh, through helping to pay the costs of the local embassy. Uh, They would even pay for the cost of local poets to put on these amazing dramas uh, and uh, performances for this city. They might pay the cost uh, to train athletes uh, who would represent the city in in different games. They might pay to fit a warship and not just for the warship, to fit this warship with all that it needed, which included the crew and included um, and uh, their training and their service throughout, right? They didn't just get these guys on the boat. They continued to support these. So these people, to sum them up, of what Paul was saying as a servant, these people, they were supreme benefactors of the state. And these guys were, they were, not just walking wallets, but these were guys that were genuinely giving because they loved their community. If that's not even enough, though, Paul refers to Epaphroditus with the word apostolos. So he's saying this guy is an apostle who was sent out by Christ, right? He is, he is framed. He's framed him not only as a friend with the high regard of the title of liturgos, but also as an emissary of Christ from the church in Philippi, right? This guy is God sent, he's saying. So I got to these other terms and uh, I'm going to be the first millennial that you've ever heard say this. Uh, Google failed me, y'all. I was looking this word up and I I was on the struggle bus with it here and uh, Google failed me. So, I, so I started looking up this word. Hey, Jeff, I've lost control up there, by the way, if he's still up there. I don't know if he is. but just go to the next slide. You know. So I was like, OK, what I'll do, I'll be really cool because I've seen people do this. I'll pick up one of these things. Um, so I, one of these books, I was like, I just need to understand these Greek words and all this good stuff. So you know, I open it. I'm like, I've got my Greek Bible. Let me look through that. The problem with this, though, it's all in Greek. Like, I didn't, anyway, so I couldn't really figure that out, and then I have this lexicon, so then I went to the second best search engine that I know, second to Google. What do you guys think it is, like Bing or something? No, it's, uh, it's called Greggle, uh, so I walked up the hall and went to Pastor Craig's office and said, there's a word, I don't understand it, please teach me, sensei, and he did, of course. You know, I don't always love asking Pastor Greg questions because he usually hands me a stack of books and he won't answer them, and he's like, it's in here. So anyway, and I'm like, this is a little question. Why would we, anyway. So anyway, Google failed me. So Paul goes through, he's saying, uh, he says, hey, when this guy gets back there, give him a hero's welcome because this guy risked his own life for Christ. So when we see this word risk, uh, risk, In Greek, it's a verb. Again, I'm gonna butcher this word. Uh, The verb is parabolistai, parabolistai, there we go. So I had no idea what it was, Google failed me. Google will tell you where Chuck Norris is, but it couldn't tell me what this word is. So uh, it's a gambling term. So during the time of the early church, uh, there was an association of men and women, and they were referred to as the parabolani, which means the gamblers. And their specific job, they were people that were dedicated to visiting prisoners and those with dangerous and and infectious illnesses. There was a a whole group of people that did this. So in 252 AD, uh, the the plague, it broke out in Carthage and in Tunista, which is where pretty much, uh, which is pretty much like right at the tip of northeast Africa. Um, Cyprian, who was the Christian bishop in that area at the time, saw that the plague hit and so many did what we have all done uh, as kids. When someone got hurt, run. So they left, right? These people were sick and they left the area. Um, and the region was just devastated because there were so many ill people, sick people just lying in the street uh, uncared for. So these, these folks, he ordered uh, these folks to go out and care for these people, to nurse them, right? Um, so... He gathered this congregation. He sends them out. He says, bury the dead, nurse those who are ill. And so these parabolani, they risked their lives completely. They put their lives on the line. They had no concern for themselves at all when they went and did this. And they did the work that no one else was willing to do. And that's how Paul refers to Epaphroditus. That's really powerful. And these guys, to mention, that were specifically taught the parabolani, they saved that city, right? Their actions saved the city, a city that would have just been done and devastated. They were actually able, this this group of folks that were loyal, that they were faithful, that they loved the, the church, they loved people, and they didn't care about their lives at all. They went and they served Christ in such a powerful way. So this is what Paul's saying about his friend, all right? Now, I doubt anybody reading this letter when they got back would have a single negative word to say about Epaphroditus because it would be like, wow, uh, sorry. You know, sorry that we doubted you. So I was trying to think of like different things pertaining to this, um, this scripture uh, that I could pull out from. So, and, and I kept thinking on it. and I wrote all this stuff down and I can't tell you how many times I deleted and I prayed through things. Um, the one thing that I could pull out from this was there's a big focus on community but the focus is more on discipleship because all of these guys were disciples of jesus christ all three of these guys in what we just read they have a single quality in common i'm sure they had more but they had a single quality in common that makes them uh the way that they are now how does that pertain to us now i've introduced this idea before uh before but All of these guys were fat, right? They were insanely fat. Uh, Now, be careful with this, you know, after I explain this, don't go around calling people fat, you might get hurt. Um, So all of these guys, they were faithful, they were available, and they were teachable. All of them, all three, because they all had to be taught from somewhere. And they all jumped on this board of this great vision of Jesus Christ and the work of the gospel, and they all decided it's worth me dying if it furthers the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I can't say that I would be as bold as Epaphroditus. I would love to think that I would be, but it's scary. That thought is just terrifying. What do you do? What do you do if you have a family? How do you be faithful, available, and teachable in that moment? But he goes with with no concern for himself. But these are the qualities that these guys model. And they're the qualities that we should all seek out as followers of Christ because, because those are the qualities that make a true disciple of Christ. Those are the qualities that make us a beacon of light to the world around us. So how did that happen? Well, practically, these guys, they train, they listen, they started as students, they built their way up. Well, how, are, how can we be faithful like these guys, right? So we live lives that are faithful um, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, unashamed of the truth that it brings. So, and what is that truth? Well, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we're all sinners and we're in need of a Savior. So that's step one. That's how you can be faithful. Check out your scripture. Understand that uh, that, that section because that is the root of the gospel, right? So we proclaim that very gospel. And here's the thing that these three guys did very well our job is to proclaim that gospel without any concern for consequences. And we have to get more bold about that because these guys face consequences to do this. We've seen uh, current day missionaries that have done that, right? They, they face consequences. Andrew Brunson, who finally was on trial in Turkey for he was in prison unfairly and he finally gets out and he returns home, right? Right? And we're all thankful. We're all thankful that he got home because this trial was ridiculous. He was starting churches. Um, He he had a church there, and he was just serving Jesus Christ, and they put all these, these other charges on him that were just insane. They treated him poorly. They imprisoned his wife, and then they separated him and his family, but finally he got to go home. And do you know what the amazing thing about Andrew Brunson is? He would still go back that's one thing he has said is I would love to go back to Turkey and continue the work that I was doing for Jesus. That's insane, right? That is absolutely nuts, but that is who these three guys were, right? They loved Jesus. They loved that gospel and they get it, right? So they they really define this verse that I kind of grew up on it. I'm so glad my mentor is right back here, Pastor Dave Ruff. He's sitting back. He's He's the best thing ever. Um, So when I met him, uh, he's the one that taught me uh, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he taught me through his words, his actions, his love, his time. Um, And he burned this this verse into my brain. It's Galatians 2.20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. Jesus gave himself for us with no regard for himself at all, that's how we're supposed to live, in that same light, right? So we're also faithful, not only through the gospel and speaking it, but we're faithful to our community when we speak into people's lives with honesty and love. I have one uh, kid who's in college actually right now, not my child, but you know, one of our youth kids that went to college, and he would always get mad at me, uh, and he would say, but at the end of our meetings, he would always hug me, crying, and he would say, you're the only one that tells me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear, you know. And so, that, but that's how I was raised. That's how I was raised by, by Dave, right? Uh, and Dave still does that for me, right? We went out to lunch a few weeks ago. And <laughs> so I'm just going and going because, you know, it's a Dave and I can unload. And at the end of it, he looks at me and he says, John, I love you so much but I'm exhausted, you know? And so these are, these are truths that, that Dave speaks in my life, and they're all, you know, loving, and, and of course, you know, I kid with that, but that's, that, of course, is, is how we go. Dave has never faltered in telling me the truth when I need to hear it. So that's how, that's how we're faithful to those around us. That's how we're faithful to Jesus Christ. Well, number two, how can we be available, right? So that's easy. If Christ is the true center of our lives, We go ahead and reserve our facts to to ourselves that forever, from the point that we accept Christ into our hearts, that we are second. We're number two. So that makes it easy to be available to others because, hey, I'm not number one in my own life, right? I, I shouldn't be number one over you either, right? So we're available. We realize that we come second, and we're okay with that. We're thrilled with that, that we're not in charge, that we come second, that we worship a Father above, so we can't call ourselves disciples of Christ without following him, and we must above all else be available to God every day. right? We have ourselves, we need to be open and available to not only God and Jesus daily. We need to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit and our community around us, to how we can serve others. That's how we're available with ourselves fully. We see a lot of times in scripture that, God, uh, that Jesus, yes, he was serving communities He was also following his God. He would sneak off to desolate places to pray, to be with God. So he would start by reading his Bible, by picking it up, by understanding the words, right? Well, not figuratively reading the Bible. He was basically the Bible, right? So he would spend time with his father, right? To understand God's will. And then he would go out and do that work. And he taught his disciples to do the very same thing. And that's the example that we need to follow. That's how we can be available to the community around us. So we can't, here's the big thing about being available to our community, is that we can't disciple others without giving of our time, right? We can't speak the gospel in anybody else's lives if we're selfish with our time. Um, discipleship, the big key for you to learn, and we're all called to be disciples in Jesus Christ, is, and I think that you guys, you Boy Scouts, you guys understand this very well, and that's one thing why I admired you a lot of you guys, The fact is, uh, because you get this concept, right, it comes with a price. Discipleship comes with a price. It comes from giving time. You don't just jump from regular person to like Eagle Scout in a heartbeat, right? You have to give of your time. You have to be willing to learn, to be faithful, to be available, to be determined, to be teachable. And it comes with a cost. It comes with a cost of your time. It comes with the cost of you serving others, it comes with a cost often of you helping a community out. That's for all of us. For us to help a community out, there's a cost and we should be willing to pay it. So what does that look like? Well, maybe it's inviting people over for dinner to open your lives up, your house, to see come pe- people come living with you, right? Like, how do we live? Well, come in, have dinner with us. You can kind of see how, how we live and how we do things. You know, I don't have to crack a Bible open to even do that, like just, Come hang out, like, it's easy, you know? Or let's go have a cup of coffee and talk. Great, those things are easy, right? Maybe we miss a football game to, to make a sacrifices, right? These are sacrifices that we get from these examples of not only Jesus, but of those that, that came after him, right? Those, those disciples that really understood Jesus' message and they came, they were willing to sacrifice everything to further the gospel of Jesus. And not only willing, but they were joyful about it. Joyful. Paul was joyful as he was sitting in prison that somebody came to visit him. He was joyful about Timothy. He was joyful about Epaphroditus. And he was outward focused. I wouldn't know my wife today if she had not been like this, right? I can't see well enough to drive so this random girl started picking me up when i was going to this this church group at hope hope church and uh and that's how i met my wife like she was like always available to give me rides and stuff and and that's how she she poured herself into me right we we got to hanging out right and i was like wow this girl's cute um so you know worked out from there but natalie was somebody and is still somebody who exemplifies these qualities And so I get to see that every day. And thirdly, um, we need to learn as disciples of Christ Christ, that we have to admit that we just don't know everything. There's there's a saying that I hear a lot of times, uh, as I get older, I realize how much I don't know. Um, And that's true. We feel like we know a lot when it comes, and we feel like, well, I don't know as much as I thought I did. So that's being teachable means that we admit that we just don't know everything, and that's okay. And it's okay if somebody asks you a question, whether it's about the Bible or whether it's about life, for you to say, hey, I don't know. But I'll work it with, uh, let's work it out together. Let's figure it out together, right? Arrogance has zero place in discipleship, and we see that no better than in this section of Scripture. Uh, there's nothing with wrong wrong with not having all the answers and needing to ask others to find them, uh, and so, in, in fact, a lot of people are truly comforted by that to see that the community that they're a part of, there are other people struggling with the same things and other people that have the questions that they have. So, w- one of the best things that we can do is point to Christ and use the phrase, I don't know, let's find out together. So, we, we move from there, we, we see um, I, I was trying to see, you know, with these guys, with these really great examples, uh, I'm a total geek, nerd, whatever you want to call me. So I was like, there's a lot of great, realistic, you know, um, we spoke about Andrew Brunson. Uh, there are guys like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, in Germany wrote a lot of great books. You should read them. If you don't have them, Like, come visit me. I've got a lot of them. And he, he was just amazing. But he gave his life for the gospel. He did a lot of great things. But i like accepting the challenge of finding the gospel in different things Um, and and i developed it from teaching my son about the bible so i really love to just watch everyday things and and pull a, a gospel message out of them so i was trying to think through all this this stuff and so i thought maybe star trek you know uh, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I'm a big, big Trekkie. Yes, yeah, so I was like, oh, Star Trek. There's this one great episode that like totally exemplifies this. And I was like, I don't know if that's enough. Um, so I was like, oh, what about my favorite movie? Armageddon, I was like, there, there's so, totally so much sacrificial stuff in that, right? You, I don't know if you've seen Armageddon, but at the end, you know, ben, they're drawing straws, this meteor's like crashing towards Earth, everything's broken, and some guy's gonna have to stay behind and click this button for this nuke to blow up and, and on, this, on this asteroid and save the world, right? And so Ben Affleck draws this short straw, and then Bruce Willis is like, hey, I'll walk you out. I'll walk you out here so you're not alone, right? And you know, at the last moment, Bruce Willis like heroically reaches over and he rips Ben, ben Affleck's spacesuit, um and, and he gets out and sends back Ben Affleck back, right? And it's this, oh, it's a sacrificial moment. It's great, Liv Tyler's in it. Um, so <laughs> I just had to mention that. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Aerosmith, so if I see a Tyler in anything, then I'm, I'm on it. Um, so I was like, oh my gosh, that's a good one. And then I was like, oh, back to Star Trek. What about Spock? Like, Great, we have this movie, Wrath of Khan. All right, and and it's this amazing scene that Spock has given his life to save the Starship Enterprise, right? And so he's gonna die. Like, he exposed himself to all this radiation so he could save everybody else. And so you have the scene of Captain Kirk and Spock and they're they're divided by this wall because they can't open it because of the radiation. And so Spock's gonna die. And Kirk's like, why? And he says, well, because the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And I was like, man, that's a powerful moment. We could go with that. But I'm a huge fan of Harry Potter. So I figured that we, and there's probably groaning, and actually one of our band members who plays bass, like he groaned at me earlier and made sure that I knew that uh, Harry Potter is the Justin Bieber of literature. But whatever, I, I still love it. Y'all need to stop laughing. So, you know, I'm a huge Harry Potter, uh, Potter fan. I've got my wand, you know. Um, so, quick story about this. Went to Disney uh, and then Universal Studios with, uh, you know, with my family. And so, I got my wand. Like, Harry Potter was, was cool. It's still cool, right? So, I really wanted a wand. And I knew the wand I wanted, Right? Um, I knew the one I wanted, so it was Mad-Eye Moody's wand. If you've seen Mad-Eye, he's got this, like, jacked-up eye, and so I felt like we related. Um, so I got his wand, and I was really excited about it. I had him in my bag. We went on this ET ride, and my wand fell in the track, like out of my bag, in the track. And so as any, you know, upset child would do, I did the mature thing, and I pouted for, like, most of the day, like, the rest of the day. We were like, in... Universal Studios, one of the, funniest, like, the fun places on, on the planet, and I am just pouting. And finally, my mom, she's just had enough. She's like, look, here's money. Just go get another wand. So I was like, okay, thank you. And so, you know... I skip, and I go get, you know, another wand, a different one, because I was like, well, that other wand didn't like me, blah, blah, blah. I'd love to say that I was a teenager, but this is actually a picture from that trip. Uh, that's my son right there, and yeah, I was married. So anyway, <clears throat> that's just a little fun story for you. Um, I have not grown up as of yet. So, <laughs> so here we go. So I was like, Harry Potter. Harry Potter has a perfect scene. So I'm gonna kind of set up the scene for you. So in the second Harry Potter movie, we're introduced to this character. We're really in the book. I've read all the books and audiobooks and all that stuff. Uh, But we see this, we meet this character, Dobby, and he's this little tiny house elf and he's adorable. And there's one thing that's true about Dobby is he loves Harry Potter. Harry Potter is his buddy, his pal, and like he loves him. And so we see Dobby kind of popping up through the second movie a lot and he's, he's saving Harry Potter, but the problem is is that Dobby is a house elf, right? Now, house elves in the Harry Potter universe, they have more magic than anybody else, right? They, they have like untold magic, but they can't use it because they're slaves, and they're often slaves to really bad wizards that treat them poorly. So Dobby would help Harry Potter and keep Harry Potter out of danger, but after he did that, we would immediately see Dobby start hitting himself with rocks or ironing his face or, or just saying, Dobby's so stupid, you know, and bad. And, and it was really sad. It's a sad moment, but he loved Harry Potter enough that he was, like, willing to do this. Well, the only way for a house elf to earn their freedom is if their master gives them some clothes. So at the end of this, this book, Harry Potter, who's a genius, he takes a sock, one of his own socks, and he puts it in a book that that Dobby's master owns. And Dobby has this really cruel master, right? And so um, he puts it in this book that his master owns and Harry hands it to the master, right? And so, of course, the guy, Dobby's just his little slave, he throws this book at Dobby, right, Um, to carry it. And so Dobby opens it and there's this sock and he's like, oh my gosh, I'm free. Thank you so much, like, and Harry Potter did it. And so now Dobby's this free house elf and can think for himself, well, the movies don't really do Dobby a lot of justice because we don't even see him to the end of the last one but Dobby in this scene I it just came to mind and I was like man this is a guy that I can pull the gospel from this little tiny self. so I'm gonna show you the scene and and we'll explain from there so go ahead and roll that all right <clears throat> cut it you know yeah all right I'm not crying you're crying so okay so, this is such an amazing scene and uh, when it came to mind, I was like, man, that's so true of guys like Epaphroditus, of guys like Paul, of like Timothy. Just, just like them, you know, Dobby, Dobby is saved, right? And he's so appreciative of, his, of who saved him that he's willing to put his life on the line to save, to, to work that out in his life, right? To, so he comes back, he saves Harry Potter, right, his favorite person in the whole world, the one that saved him. It was his joy to do it. And at the end, we, we hear Dobby saying he's so happy to be there with, with Harry Potter. That, that should be us, guys. That should be all of us. We should be so happy, no matter our circumstances, to be with Jesus. No matter if we have to put our lives on the line, no matter if we have to give up all of our time, if we have to sacrifice everything, we should be just like that when it comes to Jesus Christ who saved us, who gave us a chance at life to live forever, right? And not just a chance like the gift of eternal life. We should be excited to share that with others, to be happy to go through whatever it takes to share that message. So as we, as we close, I want to give you a few takeaways, just, just three simple takeaways for you to give up. What is giving our lives up for the gospel means? To me, it means three things. It means that you and I come second, which we talked about. We do come second, and we're okay with that. We're joyful about that. It means that you and I have to give up our time, which we're also joyful to do, and it means that you and I have to start thinking outwardly. Stop getting lost in your head. Think outwardly. What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? What will Jesus continue to do? No matter what my circumstances may be, the story is not about me. It's about Jesus Christ And the gospel, the gospel, the greatest news that we've ever been told and that we will ever be told, that we are all free in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the freedom that you blessed us with through your son. You gave up your very son to die for us, to die a perfect death, to live a perfect life, to die sinless for us. We don't deserve that gift, Lord, but you gave it to us. So Lord, teach us to not be arrogant, to not hoard that gift for ourselves, but to share the great news of it in our lives, through our words, through our actions, through our time, through how we give. Help us to show it boldly every day, regardless of the consequences. Help us to love like you do, love without limits. Because as your word says, there is no greater thing than for one to give up their life for a friend. Thank you, Lord. And it's in your son's beautiful, precious, and very holy name that we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.